electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. An incredible record-breaking rally capping off what was an incredible record-breaking week. Stocks surging into the close of the back of the president's news conference. The S&P 500 gaining more than 9% today, its best day in nearly 12 years. The Dow, all it did was post its biggest point gain ever. But this follows what was a brutal week of selling. So the question now is how do you position yourself heading into next week given this crazy week that we had today. All right, joining us to break it all down is Tim, Brian, and Guy. I'm also Brian Sullivan. Welcome. I mean, what a week this was. And Guy Adami, I am not going to take anything away from a Dow that rose nearly 2,000 points. It's better for most people's portfolios than it falling 2,000 points. But I believe we're going to be going to Eamon. We're going to Eamon? Oh, you have time now to think about that question. Sure, that let's thought, go to Eamon. Which is good news. All right. Let's go right now to Eamon Javers, who's at the White House with more news following that president's news conference, which certainly moved markets, Eamon. Yeah, boy, did it. I mean, it was about a thousand point spike while the president was speaking. Traders clearly liked what they heard. The president taking a very CEO focused approach here, bringing up the CEOs of Target and Walgreen and others, name checking Google. Uh, the president here, I thought, Brian, taking a much different tone in terms of the coronavirus than we've seen from him in recent weeks. He's tended to sort of minimize the danger of this over the past couple of weeks. Yet today he said something different. Here's what he said. In the coming weeks, we will all have to make changes and sacrifices, but these short-term sacrifices will produce long-term gain. And again, I've said we're learning a lot for the future and future problems like this, or worse, or worse. It could get worse. The next eight weeks are critical. So the president here declaring a national emergency. That frees up tens of billions of dollars in federal aid uh, to go to the affected areas. And it also unleashes some regulatory actions that the president cited, uh, including clearing out red tape for doctors and hospitals that are trying to respond to this in real time. The, the president taking here action uh, much stronger than he predicted even yesterday uh, when he was asked by a reporter if he was going to do this. He said, well, I might do some of the minor things. I'll do it if I have to do it today. He clearly felt he had to do it, and he did, Brian. Yeah, he, he certainly did, and a lot of CEOs were there, Eamon, and the market either loved it or it covered Eamon Jabbers at the White House. Thank you very much. You now, Guy yes, sir. you had a minute to think about that question. Did, are you a buyer of today's Well, record? I was locked into Eamon because I'm a big fan of EJ, as you know. But uh, in terms of, listen, yeah. yes, it was an important day for the stock market. And last night, if you're around 10, 30, 11 p.m., the S&P futures actually traded down to levels that we had talked about, believe it or not, that 2350 level. So you can take some solace in that and the fact that the market did rally. I think that's a really good thing. It's an encouraging thing. And I think that press conference addressed a lot of the health concerns and what we were doing about it that people wanted to hear. I think that's great. What concerns me, and again, it was a great day for the stock market, absolutely. What concerns me, what has concerned me, and what will continue to concern me is the unprecedented 
unprecedented volatility in the bond market. 10-year yields at one point this week were 34 basis points or so, and today they closed, I think, either side of 1%. I mean, that is a historic move by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, and look, I I agree with you. Um, What had me most concerned on, on, you know, Whenever the day we hit 31 basis points on the on the the 10 year note is is you know the bond market is telling us something not just you know as, as it often can but something awful um, and I'm not sure the move to 31 is appropriate uh, I, I'm not sure where we're supposed to be right now I think that's what it comes down to certainly we've seen a relative value trade into the U S as as this crisis has moved on just back to the technical elements of today seven percent on the S and P in 25 minutes into the close. That, that that just doesn't make sense to me. That's not suddenly people getting really excited off of that speech, with all due respect to the speech. It's nice to hear the president take, uh, I think, the authoritative action that he did today, and I think that's great news for the country. Um, I think 7% in 25 minutes on the S&P is a bit concerning. Um, it doesn't mean that you should feel that this was nothing. I think there's a lot of short covering to come. I think certainly there's, there's we talk about algos and machines all the time. Uh, I think the most important thing, you saw that good companies today found a way back And what was interesting is then you saw some companies that may have been some of the frothier names before we started to sell off that looks like they may be the victim of margin calls that doesn't have a lot of money that can come in after them. Um, There's a couple asset classes. There's a couple big stocks that did that. And and you can short through that. So I think the market really needs to. So actually, you know, Tim, you brought up a really good point about margin calls. To me, what the last two days have really been about is this type of deleveraging type of action where somebody is a forced seller or maybe today a forced buyer. The liquidity in the in the market is almost absent. So you get these massive moves up and down. So what does that mean for you at home? So if you're at home and you're saying, you know what, I didn't want to sell the bottom. I've got an up 10% today. Remember that some of the biggest rallies that we have, in fact, I think about seven or eight of the largest rallies in the Dow have happened during bear markets. That's right. So no, take I, I advantage that of these. No eight, no nine. We yeah. had some of the biggest updates massive. in history. We're in 08 and 09, and I think if my memory serves me, in 2000 and 2001 as well. The VIX, by the way, ended at, what, 58, which is still higher, Guy, than two days ago. And it's not like bond yields signaled the all clear. That's, again, the, the VIX at 58 is, is significantly lower than it's been this week, but it's still the VIX at 58, which if we had talked about that two months ago, you would have looked at me with your incredulously, correctly, by the way. So, again, that's telling a different tale. We, I don't want to dismiss, I don't think any of us are dismissing the importance of the market finding its footing today. I think that was very encouraging, especially at last night, as I mentioned, 11 o'clock. It didn't look that way. And at points today where it really looked like it was going to give up the ghost. That's the good news. In my opinion, the bad news is this bond market volatility is not a healthy thing. The bond market, whatever rates they need to stabilize somewhere, and Tim is right, 31 basis points in 10 years probably wasn't right, and maybe 1% now isn't, but it needs to find its footing and it needs to stop moving to the levels that we're seeing. So let me give you the silver lining that's out there, though. So what we know, what works to solve the health crisis is containment, is quarantine. Whether we like it or not, whether it's mandated by the government, where it doesn't look like it's going to be, this country is shutting down. They shut down Disneyland. They shut down Disney World. Airlines are shut down. Broadway shut down. So we are self-quarantining. So we are moving in that direction. I do think some of the bounce off of last night's low was the market saying, okay, we are moving in that direction. It's going to hurt. It's not going to be great. But that's a positive development. Sure. How important is Monday, Tim? 
I think Monday's part of it. Um, I, I don't expect that Monday gets us to a, a to the other side. Remember, a lot of the things that we're wrestling with, especially for those like me that don't expect this to be a V-shaped recovery, is is that we still are trying to figure out where credit is. We are still trying to understand where where companies that first of all, you know, we heard about Boeing getting the down. I mean, that, that I'm not worried about Boeing's balance sheet. I, I, you know, maybe I, I'll say something different in six months, but based upon uh, I think the quality of the management team and the quality of their core business, um, their, their leverage has adjusted quickly. But there are companies in sectors, especially in the industrial space, that I think the, the market is still waiting to call judgment on. And, and I think if you think about earnings, um, the biggest problem that comes out of a recession is a credit crisis because uh, earnings growth doesn't happen. And ultimately, you get this spread widening that becomes dangerous for the market. So Monday is an important day because I think Monday, uh, our country is going to have a better sense of where we are with this virus. Every day brings a little bit more clarity at least clarity of the unknown. Again, we, the, the certainty is that we're not certain, but we're more certain that we're not certain than we were yesterday. People are taking this seriously, as they should be. Uh, and I think that that level uh, of, of, of clarity on where we have to get to as a country is very important. Okay, good stuff there. We're going to come back to the macro market discussion, but we've got a very special guest to bring in right now, and that is the president of the New York Stock Exchange, Stacey Cunningham. Stacey, we appreciate you joining us here on CNBC on what was just an incredible week. First, I'm just going to be direct. Any chance the New York Stock Exchange shuts down? We don't have plans to shut down the New York Stock Exchange. We're very focused on making sure we can keep the floor open for a number of reasons. First of all, it is a symbol of the strength and resiliency of our economy. And so we really want to make sure that we continue to give that presence and confidence to investors and the public more broadly. And second, our stocks trade better when we apply human judgment. We've been using that mechanism a lot this week. And we just saw a a few minutes ago, we had a number of stocks in the oil sector that at the very last seconds of the day had massive buy imbalances based on the news of the president's announcement. And so we really brought that community together to find a price level where we can offset that imbalance. You know, given that there, there's some people I've talked to that are having trouble in big banks finding price discovery because people are working remotely, computers aren't working or they're slow at home, and there are bid-bid-ass spreads, particularly in the bond market and some of these structured products and derivatives. Very easy to buy and sell single stocks. We understand that, Stacy. but I know you're much more knowledgeable about this than I am. Do you think the market itself, not the NYC, but the market maybe needs to take a pause to make sure that everything is up and running because these 1,000, 2,000 point moves on a daily basis, Stacey, we've all been doing this a long time. These are bizarre. They're they're certainly unusual price moves. It's important that the markets stay open, though. So we can take a pause for 15 minutes. We did that twice this week, and I think those were very appropriate and very helpful to the market. But taking a long-term stop, you know, stoppage of trading certainly does not send a strong signal to investors. That's not who we are. We, we need to be able to give people the opportunity to access their money. You did see some shifts in liquidity, especially where there was a, a lack of liquidity sometimes in the fixed income space. You saw many, many clients using, uh, many investors moving toward fixed income ETFs because the liquidity that they were able to find there. So I think you're going to see investors looking for liquidity across the board and trying to determine what products they have more success trading uh, and, and investing in. But, but I, I don't think we're going to see the markets close, and I think it would be the wrong, I think it would be the wrong measure to take. Hey, Stacey, it's Tim Seymour. A pleasure to have you on. And I guess my question is around liquidity, but extending that and even to today. So when when an Intel moves 13 percent in 25 minutes or the S&P moves 77 percent in 25 minutes, what from the exchange's perspective? I know you're not a floor trader. You're an executive. You run this thing. Um, But but what's happening down there? And you you have a great view. And and I'm just curious because today was extraordinary. 
Yeah, I mean, today's extraordinary. I think a lot of that has to do with evolutions we've seen in the market over time. So we see markets are much more fragmented today. Markets are also much more automated. People are getting information very, very quickly and reacting to signals they're seeing in the market. So you see movements happen much more quickly. That's part of why we introduced circuit breakers, not just at the market-wide level that we used a couple times this week, but also at single stock levels, so that when there is a rapid stock movement of 10%, we can again take a pause and centralize liquidity so that it can back to one place and really focus on price discovery. We've been using a lot of the tools we have in the toolkit this week, and they've all worked the way they're supposed to. That said, we want to make sure that investors understand and focus on the long term. If investors are seeing these, these massive price moves during the day and taking those as, as opportunities or moments to, opportunities to invest or moments to panic, I think they really would be better off focusing on the long term. Just quickly, going back to safety, obviously, you talked about the importance of people, and people are the most important thing out there, especially we're all thinking about our families. We're here at the NASDAQ. You're down there. There's people moving around. We have CNBC crew as well. Uh, What steps have you taken to make sure that everybody coming into that building is as protected as possible? So we've done a number of things already, and we're expanding those next week as well. We first, we've limited, uh, uh, we've restricted guest access on the trading floor. So the people that are on the floor now are people that support trading operations on the trading floor, just so that it increases the likelihood of the people on the floor being protected from, from an outbreak. We've also asked the employees at the New York Stock Exchange that don't support floor functions, but that work in the New York Stock Exchange building to work from home. So we're just limiting the number of people coming into the building. We've increased our cleaning. In fact, right across the way, we have a deep cleaning team that's, that's working through uh, to, to make sure the floor is sanitized. We're running through a, a number of different measures and segregation so that we can keep the floor open. And then we have contingency plans in, in place in case we, we were to have an issue so we could reopen very, very quickly for, the, for trading the next day. And also, you know, we, we, we have plans where we can move and trade completely remotely and electronically. We don't plan to use them right now because we really do think it's critical to meet, keep the markets open, not just for investors, but really for public. To show that, to show that strength and resilience. And, you know, I just have to say markets have been challenged this week. But so have Americans. And we're trying to figure out how to process information, how to protect ourselves and take precautions. We're doing it here in our markets. We use the tools we have. We're doing it here on the trading floor by trying to protect the the people that come to work every day. And Americans are doing it all over as they prepare for what they're not quite sure how, how the next few weeks will unfold. Stacey, you guys have done a wonderful job. Congratulations, because being open, I think, does send the right message. But in terms of your business specifically, does this... The ability to bring clients down, is it, does this potentially hurt your listing business or does it just sort of temporarily um, cause a bit of a pause in that? Yeah, I, I will say that one of the things we've focused on with our listed companies, they're all going through a period of uncertainty right now as they're trying to figure out how to protect their own employees. We can leverage our network to help them with that. We held a conference call today with Scott Gottlieb, who I know is, is, a, is a friend of CNBC, He talked to our listed companies about the things they should be thinking about and doing. Bringing that community together to share best practices is certainly one of the values that we can provide to our listed companies. And we bring them together during times like this so they can share best practices and figure out how to navigate uncertain waters. With respect to IPOs, certainly the markets that are not the most conducive to IPOs right now not just because of the volatility in the market, but because of the concerns around meeting with investors. So many companies that have been considering an IPO are putting that on pause. 
ultimately, we'll be able to point to how our market performs better during times of volatility. And that becomes something that we can talk to companies about when they are considering listing at the right time. But, we're, but that's, you know, I, I think that there's plenty of time for that. Stacey Cunningham, president of the New York Stock Exchange. Stacey, we do appreciate you joining us on what was a big day, a big week. Certainly wishing you and all the people down there uh, to be as safe as possible. Have a good weekend. It's been a, been a crazy week. Thank you. Week. you, Stacey, you thank too. you very much. You too. Thanks. All right. Well, we got some breaking news right now on Microsoft. Let's get to Josh Lipton with those, those details. Josh. So, Brian, we do have big news on Microsoft today announcing that co-founder Bill Gates is going to be stepping down from the company's board of directors um, to focus more really on his uh, philanthropic pursuits. We know he is passionate about areas um, like global health, education, climate change. Uh, he will continue to serve, though, as technology advisor to CEO Satya Nadella. You'll recall um, in the summer of 2008, he had really transitioned uh, out of day-to-day role in the company to spend more time um, with the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. He, re- he had served as Microsoft's chairman um, to the board until February 4th, 2014. In a statement here, CEO Satya Nadella says Microsoft will continue to benefit from Bill's ongoing technical passion and advice to drive the company's products and services. It is not the only news from Bill Gates today, though, Brian. He is also stepping down uh, from Berkshire's board as well. And we've learned that Ken Chenault will be leaving Facebook's board to replace him there. Guys, back to you. Oh, big news there. Josh Lippin in San Francisco. Josh, thank you very much. Uh, obviously, Bill Gates has not been the CEO of Microsoft for a long, long time. Steve Ballmer was there. Sacha Nadell has done a great job. Does this change anybody's view, BK, no. on how they should look no. at Microsoft? I would say it this way. You don't sell Microsoft because Bill Gates is stepping down from the board. They have a fantastic management team there. Obviously, it's taken a hit this week with the entire market. But I don't think this is a structural change. People knew ultimately Bill Gates is going to kind of slowly back away from that. So, you know, if I'm looking at Microsoft today, if there's any weakness on this news, which it doesn't really appear that there is, but I would not sell Microsoft on this news. um, Go ahead, Tim. I was just going to talk about, again, the extraordinary move in Microsoft, which was 14% in the last 25 minutes, and 76 million shares are traded, Um, whereas uh, before that, it was was about about 15 million. That's mom and pop on the retrade account. Uh, Which, which in total, is is about four and a half times the the average daily volume. So, um, we, you know, Guy talked about this last night, mentioned a level on Microsoft that I think at least people wanted to see. We certainly kissed that last night. Um, the, the, the thing that worries me about Microsoft is it, it is a market proxy. And in fact, if there were some shenanigans going on in the market, why not go after Microsoft to take it back higher, whatever that means. So if you think about uh, the NASDAQ that's outperformed the S&P by almost 800 basis points this year, um, just think about that as, as, as you digest whether you think mega cap tech continues to lead the way or that they have to catch up on the way down. Yeah, today's late move notwithstanding, you know, Tim mentioned the levels we talked about last night in Microsoft. You know, that 139, 140 level, that's where we basically topped out at in the entirety of last summer into the early fall. So it made a lot of sense that we seemingly stopped there. And I'm with BK on this one. You know, if nothing else, uh, you have something at least in terms of a bogey to trade against with Microsoft, understanding now it's probably 8 or 9% away, but that 140 level is pretty interesting. Yeah, and by the way, just quickly, given what we're all going through right now and here and in parts of the country, a name like Microsoft longer term, remote teams, right, video conferencing. There's a long-term work trend that may change from this environment that could fall right into companies like Microsoft's and Google's hands. That may change 
for the foreseeable future. I mean, not only here, right. but, you know, the Chinese economy might change because of this in terms of, you know, the way they work to maybe the different things. You know, maybe those, you know, it's interesting. We had a conversation with Karen and Tim pointed this out. There's been relative strength in a lot of these Chinese Internet stocks. It doesn't make a lot of sense until you start to think about it. So maybe they're ahead of that curve and maybe that's a place you should be looking as well. All right. Well, we've got some more breaking news. This time on Dow Component, Boeing referenced it earlier, but let's get more now with Phil LeBeau on that, Phil. Brian, this is about Fitch putting Boeing on Credit Watch negative. And as you take a look at shares of Boeing, and yes, they did get a, a bit of a pop back today, but this is a stock that's still well off of its 52-week high. When you look at this stock, the thing to keep in mind is that Fitch is saying, look, you look at the pressure that is being applied to the airlines worldwide right now because of coronavirus and because of people canceling flights, not booking flights. That raises questions about what happens with future deliveries, future orders from airlines. It's a pressure point on Boeing's finances in the eyes of Fitch. In fact, they go on to say in the report where they put the company on credit watch negative, these concurrent risks could influence the pace of 737 MAX delivery ramp up. This is the other issue that they're alluding to, that you've got the MAX. It's supposed to be ungrounded by the middle of the year. That's at least the target. Will the delivery start later this year after the grounding is lifted? Then Fitch says this could slow the rate of debt reduction from peak debt levels which will be higher than Fitch previously expected. And as a result, they are keeping uh, Boeing or putting Boeing on credit watch negative. As you take a look at shares of Boeing over the last year, remember that we are on the one-year anniversary of the 737 MAX being grounded. And again, the company's target right now, they expect... They're hoping, they're working with the FAA for an ungrounding by the middle of the year. That would set the stage potentially for deliveries to resume, maybe late three, Q3, start of Q4. That's really going to be the catalyst that people are looking for with Boeing. One other note regarding the airlines, guys. Take a look at shares of Delta. Today, the company said it's going to be cutting its capacity by 40% in the next few months. It was 15%. That was the expected cut that they announced on Tuesday. So from Tuesday to today, it's gone from 15% to 40%. And one reason why, huge drop-off in not only bookings, but an increase in, in cancellations. In fact, in a note to employees, the CEO at Bastion said, they've never seen anything like this before. They have negative net bookings for the next four weeks. This is not just a Delta problem, guys. This is all airlines. Yeah, People and, are canceling and, flights, and they're not booking flights. And, and that's guess, why the airlines are trying to conserve cash. I guess that's why I'm confused when we're talking about, you know, getting the 737 MAX back up in the air so quickly. We're going to be seeing planes taken off. Is that because the MAX is their only 737? I mean, that is their option going forward, even going through this, you know, sort of semi-passenger delevering, for lack of a better term. They have to also focus on that because that's their future. Right. Well, look, you've got a backlog. It's a strong backlog right now, not just for Boeing, but also for Airbus. But if you have airlines around the world that are scrambling to conserve cash and they're looking at going from profitable years to net loss years, what happens with future deliveries? Now, so far, Boeing says, look, we're working with the airlines. It's early on. We believe that the airlines will be able to work their way through this crisis. But what happens if this extenuates, let's say, out over a couple of months? And now you've got airlines that are supposed to take deliveries of certain aircraft. We're not talking about the MAX. We're talking about other wide bodies, both for Boeing and for Airbus. Will they be in the financial position then to do this? That's the question for, for both Boeing and Airbus. 
But guys, I got to tell you, when you talk with airline executives, the level of drop off in terms of bookings and, and the increase in cancellations, it is stunning. And they're just not seeing the bottom yet. There's no way for them to say, yeah, we're confident that come mid-April, come mid-May, we have a good sense of where the bookings will be at because they're just not seeing it right now. All right, Phil LeBeau with the breaking news on Boeing. Phil, thank you very much. All right, up next, uh, we're going to break out your protection playbook after this crazy day and really a crazy week. We're going to talk about what's ahead. Also, how you can use options to navigate these wild market swings. As always, live from the NASDAQ in a fairly sparsely populated Times Square. Fast Money, be right back. The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Just a few seconds left in the show. Let's talk about how you should be setting up for Monday's trading session. Tim, kick us off. Well, I think you should be setting uh, setting up for the, the continuation of news on both the credit side, companies that are coming through. There's going to be companies that continue to tell you where they are reeling it in. And that's maybe, again, something that's that's pretty good. The most important thing to me is the Fed. Um, Fed is Tuesday, Wednesday. Uh, Fed has already done some part of their work. They've got more work to do. Uh, I expect they'll cut to zero. Uh, the question is, what are they going to do on asset prices? It's going to drive Guy Adami crazy, but it's going to happen. Yeah, Fed, very important, but I think you really need to flip your playbook upside down here, is you need to sell the rips rather than buy the dips. It's all about rates, Brian. All right, guys, thank you very much. Crazy week. All right, we'll see you guys on Monday. That's it for us. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager.